I just can't wait to see what Jesus does in your life. I can't wait to see what he does in my life. You know, Christmas is, as we thought about this, this message, about this uh, month and what we'd focus on, we really wanted to drive toward the spirit of Christmas, the Holy Spirit. You know, that feeling that you have, that warmth that you have when the worship is going on, the feeling that God is in the room, that is the Holy Spirit. That's God among us today. And the spirit of Christmas we want to focus on the spirit of Christmas future. What does God have for you? Because really, Christmas, when you think about it, people talk a lot about the past, what, what happened with the virgin birth and what happened with a, 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 the Son of God being put in a manger. How crazy is that? You're, if you've ever seen a real feeding trough where a, a, an animal fed in it, that's pretty gross, right? So they clean that out, and that's literally where he lay. That, that's an incredible, unbelievable, miraculous story but it is the past. Really what Christmas is all about is the future. It's about your future. It's about what God has in store for you. What is the plan of God? When you get past the Christmas trees and the days off from school, you know, and the, you know, a couple days off from work that you might get and all the parties and the eating and the eating, my God, the eating. Is anybody besides me like, I feel sick of all the eating. That is so crazy. Some of you are going, yes, and some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. This should always be this way. But, but the eating and all that stuff that's going on. By the way, it's a good time for me to advertise in the new year. We'll be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. You might want to try that with me uh, starting January the 5th. But when you get past all the festivities, the, the, the food, the fun, the, it gets down to what does this mean for my life? What does this virgin birth mean for me? I'm so glad you're here. Many of you do this every Sunday. We gather together. I want everybody to do that, by the way. The seat you're in is your seat, all right? You come back next Sunday and every week with us. But what is it about? Is it just that we show up? Is it just we have this, you know, this tradition that we come together? Is it just that we have a, a deep-seated faith? Or does it go beyond all that and it actually has a change in us? So let's begin with this amazing sacrifice that God made. To, to come to earth, Jesus, the Son of God, to, to live, and he came to die. He knew he would die for the sins of the world. And as an amazing, as amazing a gift of, of that and an amazing a sacrifice as that was, he obviously thought that you were worth it. And so it was really about your value. One of my favorite prophets is the prophet Jeremiah. <clears throat> he writes, 600 years before Jesus was born. He's called the weeping prophet because it was in a terrible time in Israel's history and there were so many terrible things going on. He literally wept as he wrote, but occasionally he looked into the future and he saw a brighter day. And one of the things he wrote about was Jesus. 600 years before Jesus was born, he wrote stuff about Jesus. But he also wrote something about you. And it is my favorite verse in all of scripture. I've never shared it on a Christmas service, but I want to do this today because the same prophet who prophesied that Jesus was coming prophesied what your life would look like after Jesus came in Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans. Plans themselves mean the future, don't they? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. He's, he's talking about a future where you're walking in the plan of God and you're talking to God and God is listening. And if you look for me wholeheartedly with your whole heart, you will find me. 
That's an amazing thought that the creator of heaven and earth, this God that, you know, the whole world is pausing to celebrate his birth. Even, even people who are not religious or people of faith pause and recognize. In fact, I love this fact that even atheists, you know, when they write the date at the top of the page, they have to acknowledge the day Jesus was born because it was 2019 years ago, right? I mean, the world recognizes he came. But the thought that he came to make a plan for you, for an individual you, stop and think about how crazy that is, that you would matter that much. And then the question is, how then? And the answer is Jesus. So Jesus came. If we, if we go through the, the, the process of Jesus, we first have to get him here. And there were not just Jeremiah's writings, but many writers... 300 different prophetic utterances were, were spoken about Jesus from 1,000 years to 400 years before he was born. And all of that had to come true. And complicit with those prophecies had to be angels and wise men, you know, men who came from the Far East bringing gifts. And had to be an angry, hateful man named Herod. And there had to be shepherds and, and, and all these people. Of course, Mary, a teenage girl, virtuous, a virgin who would give birth and believe an angel and, and her fiancé, uh, Joseph, who would have an even harder time explaining and believing. All these things had to happen, and they all happened. Pause for just a minute to realize that these writers who never met each other, never, uh, some even didn't even speak the same language, all predicted the same thing, and history tells us it actually happened. It was a big deal. And so Jesus grew up, and he did miracles and like that video talked about, he raised the dead and, you know, he, he gave blind people their sight. He did all these amazing teachings that no one had ever heard before that everybody matters and that your past does not define you and that we should love. When someone else hates you, don't hate them back, love them back. Let me tell you guys, that may seem normal and natural to you, but it wasn't natural in Jesus' day. He invented that idea. But before he did any of that teaching and said any of those things, he steps up one day and he tells the whole world, well, not really the whole world because he was just in a small town, but he told that town, this is why I'm here. Now, most, most every time I've done a message on Christmas, it's Luke chapter 2. That's, that's how Jesus got here. Today, I want to go two more chapters deep into Luke chapter 4. Because Luke chapter 4 is not how he got here, but it's why he got here. It actually is the, it, it, there's two verses in there that are the mission statement for our church. And it actually was Jesus announcing his mission statement. If you go to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells the whole world why he came. He stands up in his own little synagogue that he grew up going to, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, and he announces, this is why I'm here. This is what he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to bring good news. Come on, everybody say, good news. Good news, good news to the poor, to people who never heard good news. He says, there's good news for you. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has finally come. This is why he came. It's not enough to know that he came or know how he came. I want you to know why he came. First of all, he said, good news to the poor. Now, in Jesus' day, there was no social safety net. There was nothing for poor people. And this didn't just mean poor financially, but physically and spiritually and emotionally. And the poor were treated as subhuman. 
And Jesus changed all of that. I saw a meme this week I, I, I loaded uh, for you, you to see on the screen of, of how poor and wealthy people are really the same in so many different ways. We might live differently today, but how many of you know we're all going to end the, the, the same hole in the ground, right? And Jesus was telling the poor that while I'm going to give you hope for right now, there's actually a whole lot more hope after the grave. In fact, whether you're rich or poor today, there's more hope available to you after the grave. Your life is bigger after you die than it is before you die. That is a, a central theme of our faith is that this life really is just a proving ground. This life is just, the Bible calls it a puff of smoke, a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it vanishes and then comes eternity and I want you to know that there is hope for this life, but there's even more hope for the life to come. And just like Jesus spoke to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and he told her that her history couldn't keep her out of God's grace. You need to know the same is true about your life. Your history doesn't discount God's future for your life. Your past doesn't stop what God wants to do in your future because it's dependent on his ability to love, his ability to forgive, and his ability to change your life. He said, uh, he, he said to the poor that the poor are going to receive good news. And then he went on and he said, the captives will be released. You ever run into people and you think to yourself, what are they thinking? Why are they doing that? Why, why would she say that? Have you ever stopped to think that maybe they're thinking the same thing about themselves? <laughs> why, why would he say that? You know, sometimes I wonder why I said that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, don't be lying up in the Lord's house on Christmas week. You have said stuff and said, why did I say that? You have done stuff and, and said, why did I do that, right? You know, Jesus said there are people that are captivated to behaviors and lifestyle they don't want to live. They, they're, they're captivated by depression or fear or, or anger for some of the raging anger issues. And some of them are captivated by depression or so many things that hold them. And, and here's what Jesus said, I've come to earth. You know in, in Luke 2 how I came to earth, wise men, the star, the manger. Let me tell you in Luke 4 why I came to earth, because people who are captive are going to be released. You're not going to be depressed anymore. You're not going to be an addict anymore. You're not going to continue to wonder, why do I keep saying what I don't want to say? Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? I hope I'm talking to somebody here today that's struggling and you're wondering, can I get past this? Yes, you can, but there won't be enough books for you to read. There won't be enough mentors for you to find, but there's a divine mentor and his name is Jesus. And when you come to know him, the things that hold you and bind you will release you. You'll be finally set free through the grace of Jesus. That's why he came. It wasn't just for songs and, and stories. It was to set captives free. And so that means that what you are today does not determine what you'll be tomorrow. Your past doesn't hold your future in its hands. The opinions people have of you, your family, your, your co-workers, all that stuff does not determine your future. Your future is in the hands of God. And then that a wonderful thought that Jesus like the little girl said in the video, that Jesus is holding me in his hands. I want to, she said, I want to be just like Jesus. She said, I want to see what Jesus does with my future. Jesus has your future. Could you stop right there? Could you just accept that? Your future is not in the hands of what you said before. Some, some of you think, well, I said something, and man, I, I'll never be able to get out of that. I did something, and it'll always define me. I'll never be able to get out of that thing that I did. But what, what Jesus said was, I came 
to set the oppressed free. The things that hold you, the things that have bound you, the the, the things that have captivated you will no longer hold you. He said, "The, the poor will receive good news. The captives will be released. And then the next thing he said was, the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. You know, oppression is a spiritual condition where where you literally can't see clearly. You can't see the truth right in front of your eyes. You can't see a good, clear reflection of yourself. You know, if you've known people like this, they just can't see the truth. It's so clear to others around them, but they can't see it themselves. Maybe you can think of a season in your own life. You've been in that same place where you just couldn't see the truth. It's right in front of you, and then all of a sudden, a light bulb went off. Maybe you're in a season right now, you're wondering, is there, am I, what am I missing? I'm missing something. Jesus said, that, the, and in fact, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Y'all, spiritual blindness is a real thing. We can't see the reality of the truth that God wants us to see. We're not able to see the truth, and it keeps us from the presence of God. But Jesus is the cure. Can I hear an amen? He's the cure. That what you've walked through, that where you've lived, doesn't have to be a life sentence for you. The love of Jesus and the power of Jesus is strong enough to break off the oppression. He says the oppressed will be free, that you don't have to be oppressed anymore. Now, you've heard how he came. We're talking about why he came. Because he wants people who don't hear good news to hear finally there's some good news. That he wants people uh, who are bound by some, some, some struggles, ca- they're captive to things like depression and addiction. He wants you to know you don't have to be captivated anymore. And he wants people who are oppressed, can't see the light, they can't see the truth, to finally be set free. And then the last thing he said, which I love the most of all, he said that there's a season of the Lord's favor that has come. His favor has come. Now, I want you to know what the favor of God is. And I, I'd, I'd really, I, I want to explain that. But before I can explain the favor of God, there are two other words that I need to define for you. In fact, I put in your notes, I, today's kind of abbreviated because of all the music, but I do have a, a few lines I want you to fill in. If you're, ta- if you're a note taker, those are in your worship guide. To know what the word favor is, you need to know what the word mercy is and the word grace is. So here's what mercy is. Mercy means I don't get what I deserve. Somebody, you know where I'm going. Somebody say, thank God for mercy. Mercy. Everybody say, thank God for mercy. Mercy Mercy says, I don't get what I deserve. I've heard a lot of people say like, I just want what I deserve. I just want to get what I deserve. The truth of the matter is you probably don't want to get what you deserve, right? We deserve punishment. We deserve to pay for the price of our sins. Jesus showed us what we deserve when he took our sins to the cross. I don't want what I deserve. I I, I don't want, and mercy says, you know what? There was a season where you had to pay, you had to earn, you had to make your own way. That's that's an old, you can read all about that in the Old Testament. But he said, there's a season coming where things are going to change. Mercy says, I don't get what I deserve. And then there's a word called grace that is kind of thrown around as a simile. People treat it like it's the same word, but it's slightly different. Grace says, if mercy says I don't get what I deserve, grace says I get what I don't deserve. And I love that fact. I get all kind of love from God that I didn't earn. I get all kind of peace in God that I can't understand. I talk to people. This is such a tough season for so many people. Some of you in this room right now, you're going to experience the first Christmas without your father. You're going to experience the first Christmas without 
your husband or your wife, or you're going to know the first Christmas without a grandparent, and it's such a difficult season, and some have just immediately walked into that, and I see it time and time again because I'm in the people business. I'm not in preaching business, and I'm not in, you know, East, church and Easter service, Christmas and Easter service business. I'm, I'm really in the people business, and I see it time and time again, people who go through difficult tragedies And I wonder if they're even going to be able to hold it together. And then they'll look and say, Pastor, I don't know why, but I just feel like it's going to be okay. I I just feel this peace. And then we remember the words that Jesus said, a peace that passes understanding. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you can't describe it. You don't know why. It's almost scary. Like I ought to be freaking out, but I'm not right now. And I don't know why. It's Jesus. And that's what grace is called. Something you didn't deserve. God just pours out a peace that you don't understand. God pours out mercy that that, that you didn't earn. He pours out a a feeling that that, that somehow you're going to make it. He gives you a family that you didn't earn or deserve. He gives you, like like me, he gives me, I get to do this. Like, I get to do this. Like, like right here. Like, I get to speak for Jesus and y'all pay me to do that. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I don't deserve that. You know, of all the people who live good and godly and holy lives and should stand up here and give an example, so many of our staff members deserve it more than I do. So many good, godly people. But for whatever reason, God has a plan and a purpose for every person. And when I find myself in his plan, I look at that and I say, I don't deserve that. I bet you could look at your own life. You could see many things where God's hand was on you. God's grace was there. You just don't know how it happened, but somehow it had to be God. That's the mercy and the grace of God. I wonder if anybody would just praise God right now and thank him for the grace he's given you and the mercy he's poured out on your life. So here's what favor means. I put a little equation in there. And this is my opinion now. This is no theologian said this. This is just what I think. I think grace plus mercy equals favor. I think when Jesus said, you know what? This is why I came. Because the blind are going to finally see the light. The oppressed are finally going to be set free. The people that are far from God are finally going to be drawn in. And there's going to be a season of the favor of God. I think what he was saying is, I want you to live a life where it is normal for you to feel my mercy. And it is average and ordinary for you to know my graces in your life. That that's what your future looks like. That you ought to walk and live and move every day of your life feeling and knowing and leaning on the mercy and the grace of God. You're not trying to earn it every step of the way. You're not trying to be good enough for it. You're not trying to say, well, you know, I'm just going I'm 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 to you know, pick myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to finally be good enough for God to love me. But you rest in the fact that, you know, you, you're inspired to be like him. You challenge yourself to, to serve others, to be sacrificial, to be a giver, to be a, a humble person. You, you, all those attributes of Jesus, you want them in your life, but at the end of the day, you know you will inevitably fall short. And with a smile on your face, you rest in the grace and the mercy of God. You don't have to walk in depression. You don't have to continue to feel guilty and shame of your past. That's not how God wants you to live. If Luke chapter 2 tells us how he came, Luke chapter 4 tells us why he came. And he says, this is why I came. Because I don't want people walking around trying to earn it 
judging one another because I tried harder than you tried and I got closer than you got and you fell short. He said, I want you to walk in the favor of God, knowing that he's on your side, that he's looking out for you. I one time described God's favor like feeling like you're God's favorite, right? Now, I I feel like there's a lot of people in this room, but I genuinely feel like that I might be the favorite of God out of everybody. And I know what you're thinking. It's because you wore the red Christmas jacket. No, that's not why. And it's not because I'm a preacher. I just, he's just been so good to me. I remember a long time ago when my grandmother was still alive, she made some preserves and she gave me some at Christmas or whatever. I can't remember the whole details, but maybe she gave everybody some or she made some, but she snuck me some fig preserves like this. So I had them. Nobody else was there. She reached in the cabinet. She's, we, you know, we would all come home for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and, and then we'd everybody go back because my sister and my cousins, they all live somewhere else. So she reaches back there. And she's like looking around. Don't tell anybody, but I got some extra for you. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to let Cheryl know about this. I later found that she had given Cheryl some too and said, don't let anybody know. (laughs) Probably two jars if I know my memo. But that reminds me of how God can just be so good to you and make you feel like you matter more than everybody else. But there's something about you that is just, and here's the incredible thing. While while memos can do that just out of earthly love, God's supernatural. You really can be his favorite. And there's still room for me to be the favorite. Now you're going, that doesn't make any sense. I know, because you're human and I'm human and our finite brain can't figure out this great, amazing, supernatural God. We never will. But the, 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 the season of Christmas is here to tell you that there is a future for you where you walk so near to God that you feel like you're His favorite. You're feeling mercy. You're feeling grace. You're seeing a future where you're walking with Him. Your past is not defining where you are. God is defining where you are. Your past is not aligning what your future is going to look like. The hand of God is aligning what your future looks like. That's what God wants you to walk out of this experience with today.